You're listening to the podcast of the biopharmaceutical section of the American Statistical Association. Statistics. 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 Hi, folks, and welcome to the show. This is Richard Zink, and you're listening to the podcast of the biopharmaceutical section of the American Statistical Association. This is episode 89, and it's an episode that celebrates our 40th anniversary. I had a conversation with Carl Peace, Georgia Cancer Coalition Distinguished Scholar at the Jinping Su College of Public Health at Georgia Southern University. He was chair of the biopharmaceutical section of the ASA in 1990, during our first decade. I hope you enjoy the episode. Some information on our conferences, the Non-Clinical Biostatistics Conference, NCB, will be held virtually this year from June 21st through the 24th. Registration for the conference is now open. The 2021st Regulatory Industry Statistics Workshop will be virtual this year. Registration for this conference opens June 15th, and the workshop takes place online September 21st through the 24th. As a reminder for these discussions, please note that people are sharing their personal opinions, so please don't overinterpret their comments as representing the groups or organizations with which they participate. And now let's start the show. Hi, folks. As part of our celebration of the 40th anniversary of the biopharmaceutical section, I'm talking with Carl Peace, Georgia Cancer Coalition Distinguished Scholar, Professor of Biostatistics and Senior Research Scientist at the Jianping Su College of Public Health at Georgia Southern University. He was chair of the biopharmaceutical section of the American Statistical Association in 1990. Good morning, Carl, and thanks so much for being here. Good morning, Richard. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Well, let's learn a little bit about you. How did you start your statistics journey? The first statistics course I had was in getting the master's degree in mathematics from Clemson in 1963-64 academic school year. That was a course that was taught out of uh, Freund, uh, and it was uh, the book was uh, Introductory Probability and Statistics. And he was taught by the new head of the department at Clemson, Professor Clayton V. Alquant, uh, who was from Louisiana. Uh, and uh, he uh, knew what he was uh, teaching. He was a good teacher. He was a, a very nice person. So I liked uh, that course more so than the other courses that I took in my master's program. And I had a lot of respect for the professor. So. Uh, that probably uh, stimulated uh, me in the direction of pursuing statistics later on. Um, after I finished the uh, master's degree, I took a, a job as instructor of mathematics at my undergraduate uh, uh, alma mater, Georgia Southern College, uh, and I taught there for four years. And uh, and during that uh, term, I developed a, a course in business statistics for the Department of Business and taught that. 
Um, subsequent to uh, Georgia Southern College, uh, I went to Randolph-Macon College as an associate professor of applied uh, mathematics, and I taught uh, uh, mathematics courses there, including a course in, uh, for math majors in probability and mathematical statistics. Um, so uh, I, I got to, I learned a lot more about probability and statistics by teaching it. And while uh, at Randolph-Macon, I also developed uh, and taught courses in statistics for the biology, economics, and psychology departments. Um, during uh, the middle of my tenure, which was uh, nine years, uh, from uh, 69 to, uh, to 78, uh, at Randolph-Macon College, um, I, in 73, I learned about a PhD in biostatistics at the Medical College of Virginia. So while teaching full-time at Randolph-Macon, I um, started uh, that program and finished it uh, in all the requirements by uh, uh, summer of 1976. So I returned to uh, uh, Randolph-Macon uh, for the 76-77 um, academic year uh, teaching the same courses I'd taught prior to getting the PhD, and I found that I needed more challenges. And so while I was at the Medical College of Virginia, I spent some time in the um, statistical consulting function of the Department of Biostatistics and uh, interacted with uh, several physicians who were doing clinical research, and some of them uh, uh, investigator for a clinical trial. So I, uh, I uh, saw the good that uh, statistics could do uh, in uh, supporting uh, clinical research. So I then took an entry-level position at Burroughs Welcome Pharmaceuticals at Research Triangle Park, North Carolina, uh, and uh, found that to be very rewarding work. Um, and um, then I was offered uh, the job of manager of clinical statistics at A.H. Robbins in Richmond. Worked there for a little over two years, and then I was offered the position of director of research statistics at Smith Klein and French Labs. And I was there for five years, and uh, really a very rewarding. Uh, uh, work uh, uh, for those five years uh, represented a really um, a tremendous growth for me uh, professionally and in terms of knowledge. However, I, always, um, I was never interested in a position because of the salary it paid. I was interested in a position in terms of the responsibility and the opportunity to make contributions. So I was offered uh, kind of a unique position at G.D. Searle, uh, which was uh, Senior Director of Gastrointestinal Clinical Studies, plus data management, biostatistics, medical writing, and uh, monitoring. Uh, and so I took that position, and uh, in that position, I had responsibility of running the clinical studies program that led to uh, the approval of Cytotec as the first drug uh, 
uh, on the market for prevention of um, gastric ulceration caused by non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. So again, I found uh, that would have been what Burroughs Welcome, Robbins, Smith Klein, GD Acero, that would have been the fourth pharmaceutical company for whom I worked. All very responsible positions um, and opportunity to make contributions. Uh, but then um, at that time, uh, the highest position that one with a background and uh, statistics or biostatistics could hope to uh, achieve within the pharmaceutical industry was the vice president level. And so Park Davis, Warner Lambert offered me the position of vice president of worldwide technical operations. And that included essentially uh, what I had at GD Searle, although on a much larger scale, uh, with with the absence of uh, directing clinical studies. So I took that position and had the opportunity to um, um, provide uh, statistical support for uh, for several drugs uh, that were approved by the FDA, which were the first in the class. So that, again, found very rewarding. Uh, but uh, I got, grew tired of that position because it required me to be in uh, meetings for uh, most of the time, all-day meetings. And uh, so I uh, stopped, I quit that position. Uh, it was a very responsible position, uh, five departments, 160 people across all five departments. And I started uh, my own company with just an N of one myself. Um, I called it Biopharmaceutical Research Consultants, Inc. Uh, and um, I, it, through that company, I consulted uh, with many uh, pharmaceutical companies and biotech companies. Uh, and uh, after uh, running it for uh, five years, uh, and uh, growing it to over 50 uh, people, employees doing business with around 50 uh, pharmaceutical companies and biotech companies. I gave the business to my wife. Uh, that was in uh, 1998. Um, and uh, what prompted me to do that was that I was invited to give the graduation address at my undergraduate uh, school, now a university, Georgia Southern University. And um, in, in, in um, developing my talk, uh, I, I did some research of uh, academics in the state of Georgia and found that there was no school or college uh, of the university system of Georgia that had a degree program in biostatistics, nor was there any school or college of public health within the university system of Georgia at that time. It consisted of 33 uh, schools or, or, or uh, colleges. Uh, so I resolved then uh, that I would do what I could to uh, address those shortages. And so following the graduation address, um, I got in contact with the acting president, who turned out to be a math uh, major who I taught 
during the late to mid-1960s, and I asked them to let me develop a master's degree program in biostatistics, and he was agreeable, and he put me in touch with uh, a faculty member, Charles Hardy, who had already uh, developed a, an MPH, uh, Master's in Public Health with Concentration and Community Health Education, and the importance of that is that uh, were I have to develop a Master's, a MS, an MS in biostatistics, that would have required longer because it would have to have been uh, reviewed and approved locally within the university, but more importantly, it would have to be sent to the Board of Regents of the University System of Georgia for them to approve. And so what we decided was to develop a MPH in biostatistics. And so I was still living in Ann Arbor at that time from 98 to 2000. And so Charlie helped, uh, you know, negotiate the hurdles within the GSU community. And so in 2000, we had an MPH in, uh, in biostatistics approved. That was the first degree program in biostatistics in the University System of Georgia. And so then I uh, returned to Georgia Southern in the fall of 2000 with the uh, goals of growing the uh, MPH in biostatistics, creating a center for biostatistics, and begin the groundwork for a school or college of public health. Well, my um, uh, my wife was uh, pronounced uh, in, uh, in diagnosed in January of uh, 2001 with breast cancer. Uh, and uh, to make a, a longer story shorter, uh, that um, uh, provided impetus to accelerate the development of a of a school of public health and so i uh in a playing uh, golf with the provost uh in november of 2003 uh, i asked him to find out uh, what it would what would be required to endow uh the jinping su uh, college of public health and he got back to me and uh, so I agreed to it and then on January 21st of 2004 I the provost and the president of Georgia Southern at that time met with the Board of Regents and they approved the uh, Jinping Sioux School of Public Health. Less than two years later it became a college uh, primarily because the accrediting agency of schools or colleges of public health require that uh, a um, school or college of public health be on the same reporting level as other schools or colleges of public health. And uh, that meant that since there were colleges at Georgia Southern, that um, the school of public health had to be um, re renamed the Jinping Sioux College of Public Health. And so that happened January 1 of, of 2006. And so I've uh, been uh, affiliated uh, professionally with the Jinping Su uh, College of Public Health uh, since its inception. And uh, there were six of us who began that, and uh, we've been very, very successful. Um, we 
uh, now offer uh, an M- a, a doctor pH and uh, five levels of concentration, uh, biostatistics, community health education, um, uh, management, um, epidemiolo- epidemiology, and um, and uh, environmental health sciences. Uh, we also, a uh, few years ago, uh, uh, began an undergraduate degree program, and we now have over 300 students in the undergraduate program, and uh, we have about the same number across the five concentrations, master's and doctorate degree uh, in terms of uh, uh, advanced degree. So we we have probably a faculty of about uh, 50. Uh, and so we've done very well. Uh, I personally have had uh, several students that now hold uh, good jobs in the pharmaceutical industry or uh, with government uh, agencies associated with health or with state agencies associated with health. So there was so much opposition to us doing that and uh, there were so many naysayers that we would never succeed uh you know georgia southern university uh began um or was uh before it changed its name to georgia southern college uh, back in uh, the early 1960s was uh georgia state teacher scholarship so uh, Georgia Teachers College to become Georgia Southern College was the primary graduate graduate in the um, um, uh, state of Georgia of teachers who staff the various grammar schools and high schools in the state. And so Georgia Southern's past did not include much of a history in the area of research. And so the day after would have been January 22nd, uh, a day after the Board of Regents approved the uh, Jinping Su School of Public Health, which was the first school of public health in the University System of Georgia, the Athens Banner had a, a publication that the University of Georgia uh, had created the first public uh, school of public health. Uh, and uh, so you know, one um, uh, would deduce that uh, they were particularly chagrined that this little uh, university that used to be the Teachers College of Georgia would be the first to have a a school or college of public health in the University System of Georgia. What they did was to uh, put together three existing departments and um, and call that the their school of public health. But but at any rate, uh, that's enough of that. And what I uh, what I currently do is to uh, uh, teach classes in biostatistics, particularly clinical trial methodology, um, including an advanced course. Also, teach a course in statistical issues and drug research and development. In addition, I mentor students and um, still do some writing. So. That uh, is um, a history of uh, how I began my journey in, um, in, in statistics or biostatistics. Well, that's an amazing story, and I'm sorry for your loss, but what, what an amazing way to, to honor your wife and her legacy and accomplishments through the College of Public Health 
at Georgia Southern University. Right. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Well, the biopharmaceutical section is currently celebrating its 40th anniversary, and you were chair of the section in 1990, the last chair of the dec first decade. Can you recall what moved you to serve as chair? Well, I'm reminded of um, a statement attributed to General Tecumseh Sherman, and it went something like, uh, "If dra and when, when it applied to whether he would uh, seek the office of president of the United States uh, uh, in the, I guess, the last uh, quarter of the 19th century, he said, if drafted, I will not run. If nominated, I will not accept. If elected, I will not serve, if drafted. So I, uh, in contradistinction to that, I would say that I, I thought that if drafted, I will run. Uh, if nominated, I would accept. And if elected, I would serve. Um, I always enjoyed um, uh, being productive. In fact, it's a, an, uh, it's a need that I have, uh, I think, probably uh, although I've uh, pursued interests other than work over the years, uh, you know, work is what I've done more so than anything else. Uh, and uh, so, um, uh, so I was asked. I think Gladys Reynolds uh, asked me if I would uh, uh, consider uh, running for uh, chair of the section, and uh, I said yes. And uh, so that essentially was it. But I should also add that uh, in 1989 is when I started my company called Biopharmaceutical Research Consultants. And I was also uh, the biopharm representative to the Applied Statistics Conference uh, during that time from, uh, from 1982 until 19, through 1993. Uh, and... Um, so uh, I I was uh, you know awarded with several plaques from that conference, uh, recognizing and appreciating the contributions I'd made to that program. Um, and uh, so uh, there I had a, a, a starting company with biopharmaceutical in its name, and uh, then I. Uh, was willing to serve as chair at the biopharmaceutical section. At that time, I was also putting together, I guess it was my third book uh, called uh, Biopharmaceutical uh, Applied Sequential uh, Statistical, Statistical Applications. And so, uh, and I had uh, started the, uh, the, um, uh, let's see, I had in process at that time uh, starting the Journal of Biopharmaceutical Statistics uh, with uh, Marcel Decker. So, you know, it seemed to me that it would serve my uh, purposes if I kind of uh, was involved with as many things as possible that had the name biopharmaceutical uh, in their um, moniker. Uh, so um, it's 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 no more complicated than that. Uh, I had been active as a uh, presenter in the biopharmaceutical section and had attended uh, as a guest some of their uh, meetings uh, in terms of the um, executive committee uh, 
meetings, uh, and uh, so I uh, appreciated the work they were doing, and uh, I uh, was happy to be affiliated with that particular section of the American Statistical Association. What were some of the major issues the section was tackling at the time? Um, I believe you were involved with a series of working groups in a published volume of their findings. In 1983, I was working with Stiff Kleiner French Labs in Philadelphia, and uh, I placed an invitation in Amstat News uh, for those interested uh, to, in working uh, on... Uh, I think it was a total of 16 issues, uh, which were some of which were somewhat controversial within the pharmaceutical industry. Um, and uh, I had a great response to that, and I uh, uh, then eventually formulated 16 working groups and began work on the issues or, or topics. Uh, and uh, some groups were more productive than others. So I don't recollect that there was any impetus from um, ASA or the biopharmaceutical section uh, to me uh, in 1983 uh, to get these working groups uh, started. But after I got them started, uh, there was a lot of interest expressed and uh, requests to um, to make presentations as to progress to the uh, publication committee of the ASA. In the late, uh, I guess it was uh, 19, around 1988 or so, Marcel Decker had asked me to develop a book uh, of the title Statistical Issues in Drug Research and Development, and uh, he responded from having seen the ad in Amstat News that I'd placed to create these working groups. And so I agreed to, uh, to develop a book, to edit a book uh, on that topic and alerted the uh, working groups. And around 1988, uh, there was sufficient progress by some of the working groups to uh, include uh, their contributions as chapters in that book, and that's which I did. Um, I don't re recall any uh, hot issues in the biopharmaceutical section at that time. There was a desire expressed to to realize that we should be working with uh, other groups, uh, such as the um, biostatistics subsection of the PMA, of which I was also chair around the same time, uh, as well as to uh, try to hold some meetings jointly with um, with uh, FDA biometrics. Um, so that's my recollection in terms of uh, issues. Do you have any regrets as, from your time as chair? Uh, none whatsoever. It was, uh, you know, the productivity of those working groups um, was, uh, was impressive, and uh, I got to meet a lot of people that I would not have met had I not uh, had that activity within the biopharmaceutical section. And so I want to have good remembrances of my tenure as a chair at the biopharm section and subsection and my, uh, my interaction with people. Any thoughts on how the section is functioning today and where it might go in the future? 
I don't stay uh, in touch uh, with it, uh, with the activities as I once did, but I do uh, pay attention somewhat to the uh, publicity blurbs that come out, and uh, I would say that it's functioning very well, and I would think that that joint uh, meeting that Biofarm has with the FDA Biometric Metrics is uh, a very good thing, and uh, I have paid attention to uh, those uh, publication emanating from uh, that effort. And uh, so I applaud the section on uh, that activity. In terms of where it might go in the future, I think it's wide open. I think they will, uh, of necessity, uh, get more involved with the uh, FDA in thinking of regulations that might need to be forthcoming. I say that being well aware of the ICH uh, great work over over the years, uh, but uh, you know this uh, personalized medicine is going to continue to evolve, and I think that is going to have some impact on uh, regulations and how we do business as biostatisticians. You're also the founder of the Biopharmaceutical Applied Statistics Symposium, or, or BAS. Uh, now in its 28th year, I believe. Can you give us some background on the symposium and what led you to start it? First of all, I should mention that I I founded the Journal of Biopharmaceutical Statistics with Marcel Decker in 1991 as I felt there was a need for an additional biostatistics journal to house some of the great work being done by pharmaceutical industry statisticians. I came to my attention that there were several prominent biostatisticians, myself included, whose uh, submission to uh, JASA were turned down and uh, may have been uh, submission to Biometric as well. These possible publications, these manuscripts were applied in nature, and even though JASA has an applied journal version of, of JASA, it didn't seem to that that seemed to be a little too mathematically statistical, uh, and so I uh, worked with Marcel Decker to found the Journal of Biopharmaceutical Statistics. So, having said that, I had three objectives of BAS, and one was uh, as a way of generating manuscripts for publication consideration in the Journal of Biopharmaceutical Statistics, and because I alerted the uh, presenters at BAS uh, that uh, if their work was original, uh, I would encourage them to write it up in the form of a manuscript and submit it to me for publication consideration in JBS. So that was uh, one of the three reasons for creating BAS. Uh, the second, and mo more importantly, was as a way of raising funds to support graduate work in biostatistics. And that has been very successful. I haven't uh, counted them recently, but I'm quite sure that, that funds that uh, we've raised through BAS has supported uh, more than 50 uh, graduate students in biostatistics and we also have currently a, uh, an account uh, at the Medical College of Virginia Foundation to support uh, grad 
PhD students in biostatistics there, which uh, is in excess of 500,000. And uh, I have a similar one at Georgia Southern University Foundation to support graduate work in biostatistics at the Jinping Su College of Public Health. And that is uh, just about a half a million as well. So not only have we supported a number of uh, of uh, biostatisticians to get a graduate degree uh, since uh, founding BAS in 1994, we have also seen that we can continue to support biostatistics students at two universities through those uh, foundation accounts. But having said that, I think it was in uh, 19, oh, no, sorry, in 2017. See, when I created BASS, the Medical College of Virginia, uh, until I uh, created the Jinping Su or, or created uh, the MPH in biostatistics at Georgia Southern, MCV was, a, was the only recipient of uh, funds uh, raised through uh, the BASS meeting. Uh, and then later, I split it uh, with Jinping Su College of Public Health. And so until 2017, the recipients of the monies raised by BASS were uh, biostatistics graduate students at MCV, uh, now VCU, now the Medical School of Virginia Commonwealth University, uh, and uh, Jinping Su College of Public Health at Georgia Southern University. Uh, but we stopped that, and uh, in 2017, BASS began to accrue funds to support uh, graduate work in biostatistics from any university. And uh, we currently have about approximately 200000 in a, um, a, a, an account, a money market account. And uh, so going forward, uh, we plan to grow that account, and uh, we hope to be able to offer a full uh, scholarship from that account to some deserving students. So uh, I've been um, a little bit long-winded here, but uh, the, the, the there were three reasons for founding BASS. I mentioned two of them. The third one was a forum for sharing statistical and substantive work uh, insight among pharmaceutical industry scientists, primarily uh, biostatisticians. And at, at the time I created uh, BASS, the, the biostatistics subsection of the Pharmaceutical Manufacturers Association was being dropped by the PMA. Uh, and so I thought it was... Uh, it was wise, it would serve a good purpose if uh, BASS could kind of replace that. And uh, I don't know if you were aware of the biostatistics subsection of the PMA, but it was an annual meeting and it was attended by pharmaceutical industry biostatisticians and uh, often there would be an FDA biometrics person participating in the program. And so I saw BASS as kind of filling that need that was dropped uh, by the Pharmaceutical Manufacturers Association. So hence the, uh, the importance of having a forum for sharing statistical and 
substantive work inside among pharmaceutical industry scientists. And I should say that BAS has always had an FDA biometric component to it, and that has 95% been uh, uh, statisticians, but uh, we have had clinicians to participate in BAS. For example, one year Bob Temple himself participated in, in BAS. So although that was a bit wordy, that's, those are the reasons I founded BAS. Yeah, the the interactions between regulatory and industry statisticians are, are really important. And you spent large portions of your career in academia and the pharmaceutical industry. And why would, why is it important for statisticians in academia to be invested in the challenges of medical product development? I speak from my own personal experiences. Academia only, if that uh, is all you do, can be a very full-time job if you take it seriously and you uh very and uh, that includes that you develop a rapport with students so that they feel free to visit you and take advantage of uh, your knowledge and helping their knowledge and insight to problems uh, evolve so i always needed something when i was only an academic uh, statistician say I always needed additional challenges uh, and always thought of myself as a good problem solver. So I think uh, those who need other challenges, those academician statisticians who need additional challenges and uh, like to solve problems, then I think consulting with the pharmaceutical industry fills that bill. Uh, further and more important to the classroom, is that it enables the academic academic statistician to have firsthand real-world experience, and then they can relativize it, that experience to the classroom, and therefore knowledge of students uh, is improved, as is teaching. So I always found uh, students react or are more interested in what you're teaching if it has a real-world application than if it does not. Yeah, that's a very good point that uh, things need to be grounded in reality. Um, maybe that's why the statistics course, when you were in your first master's program, spoke to you so much compared to the other mathematics courses. Um, oh, absolutely. <laughs> and I also should, should add that I also had numerical analysis under the same professor, and uh, that got me interested in the optimization methods. So, uh, yeah, that's very true. So there's been a lot of changes in the industry over the last 40 years. Uh, what major changes really stand out in your mind? Well, I think first would be the IND-NDA rewrite, which uh, I think was uh, completed in the maybe 1988-89 thereabouts. I think uh, that has affected the way the pharmaceutical industry does its clinical research uh, uh, as well as the uh, content and format of regulatory submissions. As you know, there are several items included in the rewrite that weren't there in the uh, previous uh, regulations. Uh, for example, the addition of a dose comparison trial, and uh, that has uh, had a lot of impact on the, uh, the clinical development of drug. Before the IND NDA rewrite, there was no uh, a statutory requirement to uh, uh, substantiate that the dose that you chose 
or how you chose the dose. You could just by serendipity choose a dose of a drug and conduct your clinical trials and particularly the two adequate and well-controlled clinical trials. And if they were both positive, then and there were no safety problems, and that usually led to approval. So I um, put, uh, tip my hat to Bob Temple, who I think was the first to realize that the regulations prior to the IND-NDA rewrite were probably leading to drugs on the market that were at a higher dose than was necessary. Uh, and he believed, I remember him giving a talk uh, at the DIA meeting that he thought that there were probably many drugs in the market that were being overdosed. Uh, and uh, so I think that the IND NDA rewrite uh, is, is probably the, the biggest thing in the last 40 years that has affected the way the work is done in the pharmaceutical industry. I also think that an important avenue of research has been the greater presence in the research and, and the subsequent approval of biologic. Uh, that has occurred in the last 40 years. And prior to the biologics, there were medical devices, but uh, beyond drugs, but only drugs and medical devices were uh, being approved. Um, and uh, I think that uh, in terms of, um, you know, considering the fact that we all, as we age, need, are more likely to need medicines, uh, I think um, a greater interest in the uh, effect of drugs in the elderly as well as the effect of drugs in the young, uh, I think uh, the, the, those are important uh, milestones as well. Uh, as well as the greater research in personalized medicine and the consequent impact that that's had on bioinformatic methods. Well, how do you think the industry will change in the next 10 to 15 years? It's, it's hard to say, uh, but, you know, I think there, there is more and more use of computer simulation and bootstrap methods uh, for biostatisticians, and it wouldn't surprise me to see the the um, the statistical community to go to greater use of bootstrap uh, type methods or randomization tests instead of relying on uh, distribution theory from say, mathematical statistics. I know that I myself have gone to greater use of permutation tests or randomization tests, as well as bootstrap methods. And um, so I think that is likely to happen. Uh, there'll, be greater, there'll be greater research and uh, development methods uh, for assessment of effectiveness and safety in the area of personalized medicine. Uh, you know, it seems to me that the goal of personalized medicine is uh, something like the uh, right drug for the right individual at the right time. And so that kind of implies an inference of uh, effectiveness and safety in the individual. And so it may be that this will lead to a greater research and utilization of N equal one design. Uh, I may be uh, stepping out on a weak limb and saying that, but uh, it uh, it seems to me that that would be the logical way that personalized medicine would be. And 
And, you know, maybe in the future, uh, each of us can buy a fairly inexpensive kit that we could use to uh, input information and come to our own diagnoses. Yeah, I, I, anything's possible. Um, <laughs> yeah. It sounds a little <laughs> sci-fi, but we'll probably look back on that and say, why weren't we doing this before? <laughs> <laughs> uh, final question how important is it for statisticians to be involved with a scientific or professional organization such as the ASA and, and how would your career be different personally it was very important for me to be affiliated with those uh, organizations you know the, the interaction uh, with fellow professionals uh, is a very important part of our, uh, our um, self importance in a sense and also, what often is the uh, best feeling, uh, if I put it that way, that comes from attending a professional meeting and hearing presentations made is your realization that what you're doing is, uh, is okay. <laughs> I once said that I've had many good thoughts about uh, about uh, methodological development, and uh, I read the literature and find that people are publishing on those every day. <laughs> but uh, in terms of how my career would be different, it's, it's kind of hard to say. I, you know, always need to work and be productive, and so I would have, uh, I would have probably been productive. But uh, there are a lot of things that I can say would not have happened had I. I've uh, not uh, been a member of the uh, biopharmaceutical section. For example, uh, one book, uh, The Statistical Issues in Drug Research and Development, uh, uh, came about. And incidentally, I, uh, I uh, uh, donated or, or, or checked the box that indicated that uh, all uh, proceeds that I would have received as editor of that book would go to the biopharmaceutical section of the ASA. So um, I don't feel I've done a very good job in answering that question, but, uh, you know, I grew up in a very, very poor and impoverished neighborhood uh, and a very poor uh, family, and uh, I grew up plowing a mule, picking cotton, doing all kinds of uh, farm work, uh, non-mechanized farm work. So I often tell people jokingly that what I'm doing today beats plowing a mule. So my career would have been different in the absence of affiliation with uh, professional organizations, but I would have probably found a way to, to make a living. Well, thanks a lot for uh, taking time to talk with me today, Carl. I really appreciate the, the conversation, and uh, thanks so much for your contributions to the biopharmaceutical section and, and to our profession. All right. Thank you, Richard. And there you have it, episode 89 with Carl Peace, the 1990 chair of the biopharmaceutical section. Do you have an idea for a podcast? Are you part of a scientific working group that wants to show off their research? Do you have a new book that you've published that you want to talk about? Want to dig deep into an important topic that may not get the appropriate bandwidth at conferences? Let's talk about it. Reach out to me at richard.c.zinc at gmail.com. That's richard.c.zinc at gmail.com. In the meantime, get that vaccine, and we'll see you soon.